All right, everybody. Hello and welcome. This is the first ever, and hopefully not last, uh, what we're calling the Cam Fam Podcast. Uh, we actually were just talking. Um, the name change uh, will happen shortly. It's possibly going to be the Hot Pocket, thanks to inspiration um, from Laser using the microphone during recording or the microwave during recording. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Um, my name's Chase Devine. I am going to be uh, virtually hosting this roundtable we have here with some very fine gentlemen, um, super good friends of mine, colleagues of mine. Uh, I've worked, lived with most, some, and all. Um, so without further ado, Mr. Peter Murgaugh, uh, Laser, Nathan Finnessy, uh, Chef Osgur, <laughs> B. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then sir uh gardner olson I, I you just you seem like a sir gardner i don't know <laughs> I, 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 went with that. I hope that's okay yeah, sir. great so how are you guys doing how are we doing doing good, man. Doing good. good great yeah. right. very excited about this 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 first this first episode here um i'm happy that we landed on the name hot pocket I would like to kind of talk about that a little bit later down the road, if you guys want. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Uh, super excited here, too. Um, guys, thanks for, for joining. Um, this is certainly new for all of us. Um, the times the past year really have been new. Um, and this is just one step we're going to try to take to, to evolve with the times. Um, so for everyone out there, the idea behind this um, for today in particular is we just want you guys to uh, to meet us. Uh, we really want you guys to know us outside of um, a work environment where you guys just see us in chef clothes. Uh, we're usually barking orders or something of that sort. Um, we're just here to, to discuss who we are, how we got into this uh, crazy world of cooking, hospitality, and kind of where we see it, where we see it going um, due to the times now. So, Without further ado, I'd like to actually start with my good friend Peter Magaw here. Um, I'd like to start with him because we were we were roommates uh, for some time as well in Quincy, Massachusetts. So uh, we probably know and have seen a lot more of each other than we care to share. But Peter, firstly, uh, again, thanks, welcome, and I just want to touch on how you got into cooking. Very, very simple, very basic. How, how did you decide you wanted to cook, make a career of cooking, uh, become a chef, one might say? To answer that question, I mean, first of all, for you to say to make it basic and quick is going to be impossible with me, as you know. Uh, I'm quite the talker. I don't know how to answer any question <laughs> without having 14 extra sentences, you know, uh, summed up into one, you know, but, um, but really though, you know, that's a good question though. Cause I ask myself that question all the time. And, and, and now that we've had a lot of time to think this last, you know, 10 months, 11 months, whatever it might be, you know, I, I, I even thought to myself the other day, I said, you know, I want to reach out to my mom even and ask her like, why was it like, you know, when I was 18, I decided to go to culinary school because, you know, my life at that moment, when I was that age, uh, I was like surrounded by food, but not like in that sense of like restaurant food. Um, I was, uh, I was, uh, delivering pizza, uh, at that time. And then I was also working at a, uh, nursing home. So you can imagine that my food exposure wasn't of the, uh, fanciest or, uh, upper tier as they might say. 
you know, I was actually the dishwasher at the nursing home. So I guess like that whole cliche of like, oh, you got to start as a dishwasher. You know, maybe that's true. You know, maybe it's true. But um, I, del- I delivered pizza in New Jersey. Uh, you might also know of it as the, uh, the Garden State. Uh, there is a couple gardens there that I saw, but I hear they're not Domino's. No, not Domino's. Uh, it was at a place called Carlos Pizzeria. But yes, you know, I, I guess, you know, what it was that really stood out to me more than anything. Uh, I, I really did enjoy cooking for my friends. You know, it wasn't about like the whole restaurant business that did uh, catch my attention. Uh, I had a little bit of an idea of what it would entail. Uh, definitely not 100%. Uh, I didn't really know until I went to culinary school and then I got my first externship to what the restaurant world was like. But uh, yeah, I just enjoyed the hospitality aspect, I think. I think that's what really mostly stood out. And luckily, I was fortunate enough that my mom cooked a lot. You know, we didn't go out to eat at all. She hates going out to eat. Believe that's it or great. Not. She thinks that's great. She thinks it's the most disgusting thing in the world. Um, going out to eat. I hate to say that, you know, but she thinks she's like terrified. You know, she's like the kind of lady, like even before COVID, she would like wipe down her silverware and stuff like that. So uh, she was ready. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but you know, luckily I was fortunate enough to, to see home cooking, you know, and, and that's really it. That's it. Super. Yeah. Home yeah. home cooking that that's huge. I think um, certainly something I I didn't grow up with. But but so you were you were a hospitable pizza delivery <laughs> boy, right? I mean that's that's what it was. That's what you're saying. So hospitality and and you were you were the best. You got tips. Is that what, so? That's what you're definitely definitely a, a boy. Definitely a definitely boy. A boy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so. On on that, any anybody else? Anybody else deliver pizzas? Anybody else fall yes. into this uh, because they love the hospitality? I delivered pizza. Wow. Okay. Super. Yeah. Uh, in New Jersey? No? no, not in New Jersey. I delivered pizza at Domino's very briefly, and then <laughs> okay. uh, at a place called Pepperoni Express on Route Nine in Shrewsbury, Massachusetts. Uh, what up, to John Sobel? <laughs> okay. And, Does he um, know? It? It was owned. Well, he was from Worcester. I'm sure he he, okay. may, he may he may have known it. I delivered pizza there, and it was just owned by an old racist Greek man, and that was like my first foray into like working in restaurants. And then, uh, wow. yeah. So, so is that is that what drove you uh, to want to keep pursuing it? Then, well, was actually, no. My first my first restaurant job, I was. A busboy and expo at a Cuban restaurant when I was fifteen, and then okay, uh, I always just loved fine. I always loved fine dining. Like every time it was my birthday, I wanted to go to like a good, a good restaurant. Like that was my present. You know. And okay, then, so you um, exposed yourself that way, and and obviously you loved the idea of it. So when yeah. when you could do it, yeah. you, you wanted. Yeah, I, I always just, I just loved restaurants. I just loved the idea of restaurants. I loved like I loved working in the front of the house and then I and then I saw that like the back of house guys were just like you know, they were having fun and they were up to no good and like but they were like working hard and like I I thought like I um like it spoke to me, you know. I enjoyed I enjoyed working in the kitchens. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I can definitely relate to that. Um, and and speaking of, of the hustle, uh, I can't think of anybody other than, than Laser uh, when I think of hustle, especially our, our time together at, at La Spallier. 
Uh, Nathan, Laser, how how did it happen? How did you say I want to I want to work at Les Spaliers and and I want to? Thanks for the ironic laughs, uh, Peter and Matthew. Uh, <laughs> Fantasy five. Fantasy 500. Um, I uh, I started on a different track. I was I've always loved food, like since I was like I don't know, like four, uh, and I've always loved cooking. Um, I my first like my first inspirations, not serious, but just the ones that kind of got me into cooking were uh, were Julia Child watching Julia Child and Jacques Pepin on on uh, public TV. Of course, yeah. um, those I I loved them. I loved watching them cook. They just made it look so easy and so fun. Uh, and I've like, I've never really enjoyed competition shows. I think there's just, you know, there's a time and a place for them, but generally they don't make food look fun. They make it look like a race against time, which it's, you know, it, it can, it can be both if you're doing it for a job, it's a race against time, but that doesn't inspire people at home to cook. Um, so, so watching them really kind of got me excited about food um and i went i went i graduated from high school i went to i went to uh uh, trinity college in hartford for a semester i hated it there i left uh and i wanted to go visit my friends in in europe they were like tooling around europe uh for their gap year and my my mom said before you go there you have to figure out where you're going to go to school next year and so I was sitting around and then I, I had rented the movie Ratatouille and I, and I was watching it and okay, I said, great. I think I want to be a chef. And so I applied to culinary school, went to culinary school, wow, just like that. Uh, got an internship at Les Spaliers and 10 years later, I'm still here running in circles. <laughs> wow. True story. Wow. You know, I didn't know that. <laughs> I did not know that, and and we've known each other for a while. Uh, we're actually our, our our birthdays are only a day apart, um, so I didn't know that. And I've been waiting for so long for somebody to say it's <laughs> that they wanted to become. And you are the first, so thank you, thank it's a, you. For it's that. a magical movie. Um, <laughs> it it is. I, I I think it's great. Um, and, and I loved how you talked about uh, racing against the clock. Um. Because at least with my experience, and especially with fine dining, and I'm sure you can all agree, uh, the clock is the only thing you have, and the only thing that really matters. Um, when I was at Monton, we, it was just multiple clocks on the pass, and it was just, and, and we all know it, it's all timing, timing between courses, and it's, it's just got to be perfect. It's got to be perfect. And, and I mean, I could hear clocks ticking in my nightmares all the time. Uh, between that and making sure I turned down the veal stock so it didn't smoke up the place overnight, those are what woke me up. Um, and so as we touch on, on, on this wonderful spot, um, chef Oscar, Oscar, good friends. How did you get into it? Uh, so, um, I'm, I, I, I was so lucky because, uh, my mother, she, she was a very, very good cook and she's, uh, uh, um, um, she just, you know, cooked for all of us at home. I have two brothers and we had always good food. It started with her, I can definitely say that. And then my brother and I, we used to watch one uh, TV show. The, the the person who is running that show, he he used he used to travel around Turkey and find the best places to eat certain food. Let's say okay. best two or best, you know, chicken, 
just you know one one restaurant, but they are very good at it, one dish. And after that, he also published a food, uh, the book for that. And we when we used to go around to Turkey, you know, travel, we just always change our way and just find that place and eat there and continue our uh, road trip. With my oh wow, there. super! Yeah, yeah. So it just always finding the best one, good uh, good food. That is definitely uh, start for me. Just starting point to getting really interested in uh, food. And I think second part, I can say that I, when I was in college in Turkey, I used to go summer camps, and I was in Italy. And that volunteer camp, you know, every that was multiple people from different part of world, and everybody cooked their own food, but. I never cooked before Turkish food, but, you know, when I see from my mother and try to remember and look at the recipes and just something like that, and I cooked first time, and one person said, oh, are you a professional chef? I said, no, I am not. And I, time, I, wow. I, that, yeah, it just makes me, you know, very excited. Oh, my God, being professional chef, and I never cooked before, and he really liked that. And then I, I started thinking about being professional chef and started to research about that, but that time I was going to school and different major. I didn't want to uh, switch my major, but and then uh, my brother had a friend, and she was doing this uh, the finance schools. Uh, okay. And I end up with the culinary school in the United States. Wow, excellent! So, you, so you really, I mean, you started with most people's dreams, which is travel, find the places that do something the best and eat at them. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's, that's a dream. Can I ask a question? What was, yeah. what was your first major? My first major was uh, public relation advertising. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I bet you agree. Yeah. I My sister does that. Yeah. I graduated, uh, I graduated in Turkey. Uh, uh, I, and I, we live in Ankara and there was one university, you know, and I got a special degree from yeah, advertising and public relations. Wow. Yeah. And then I was thinking about a lot of, uh, you tell, know. Tell them uh, about the army, to Oscar. Tell okay. About the I army. said, let me finish my major. And I get it done with uh, advertising. And maybe you guys heard some countries, you have to do your military service. So the best time, the, yeah, best time for you, as soon as you're done with university, you need to get it done that. Otherwise, it's going to follow the rest of your life. When you apply work, a job or whatever you want to do, it's just they're going to they're gonna ask for it. You know, you need to, to get it done. So as soon as i done with my military service, uh, my university, you know, down college, I just went to military service. And uh, during military service, you have less of time to think about it. And I just said, okay, <laughs> I want to I wanna study again. You know, I want to study because I really want to be chef and yeah, that just and that right. I think that sort of brings me to the United States. Yeah, I, I mean that's super unique as well because um, all of us on the call, yeah. I don't think we can relate. To Here that. in America, they have a thing called the uh, draft dodgers. You know, you dodge that, you don't go. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Speaking of dodging here. Uh, Chef Matthew Lyle, did I see him? Uh, did I see him join on partway through here? Uh, I think this is a pr- a perfect perfect segue. Um, 
Chef, thanks for joining. Um, sorry, you know, sorry for my tardiness. We all look up to you. We've all no, no tardiness is good. It's it's good. Um, fashionably late, but um, you know we just uh, we're introducing everybody. Um, so you're up, and then I, I just want to add another question onto you. So so how did you get into cooking? How did you decide you wanted to become a chef? Um, and then what would you say was the first dish you cooked when you were trying, right? When you were like, okay, I really want to be a chef. I'm going to make cocoa and then mess it up terribly or something, or it was perfect. Like, like chef Oz, you know? So, <laughs> so again, welcome well, and thank you. And, and Matthew Delisle. Yeah. Thanks so much. Jace. Thanks. Thanks for organizing this. Um, I don't, I, I started cooking because I think that my parents needed a place for me to go because I was a pain in the butt basically. And I, I just actually told, I think Peter or Lisa this not too long ago, that when I was a kid, probably from like 13 or 14, I started going to a monastery where my uncle was a priest and I used to live there in the summer times. So by the time I was, you know, like a sophomore or junior in high school, I lived there for the entire summer and I would just work in, I would work in like the, uh, and they had a cafeteria and then I would work in the monastery and like work either on the grounds, like mowing lawns, or I would work in the uh, kitchens. So that's like kind of where I first started working in the kitchen. And I was pretty young, but I mean, it was like, you know, just like fun work, helping out, being like a gopher or whatever. Um, I don't know, before that, when did I get into cooking? I, I, I used to bake a lot of cakes when I was a kid, actually. And I'd make them and my mom would bring them to work. Like, so I would always try to make like some kind of cake from scratch. But... I would say when I was, uh, the year I got out of high school, I was not going to college because I, I think I graduated high school like a 1.7 GPA. I think it was right around there. Wow. And my dad said, you're going to get a job. And I got a job at a hotel. And that was that was it. I worked at a hotel and I just started banging around. Tell, tell where the hotel was. Moving. and My first hotel was the, uh, the uh, Sheraton Wayfair Terra Inn or something like that in Bedford, New Hampshire which is no longer there. It's now Walmart. And then after that, I was down, I was in New Jersey. That's the word that you were going to say. In Edison, New Jersey. <laughs> Fun fact, that's, I grew up in two towns over from that. So Matthew was right next to me when I was a little kid. Who would have thought? Yeah. Wow. And another fun fact is that my mom is from Worcester, Massachusetts. So I spent a lot of time out in Shrewsbury and Worcester. So I didn't know Gardner. I didn't know you're from over there. Yeah. Yeah, uh, how long how long did you live over there Gardner? i love i love i love western mass so much uh, do you consider is that western mass i know there's like a di- right it's not right it's got to be right that's it's a very mass. serious thing right yeah that's central okay super all right well i like western mass um Everything west of lemonster lemonster is, is western mass okay that's i'm sure everybody who might be listening to this probably knows that because uh, i'm certainly not from boston Oh, it's made that up. Oh, <laughs> that's fine. You were convincing. You convinced me. Um, guys, thanks for the, the intro. Um, I, I really don't want to talk about me, but I'm here. So Chase Devine here. Hey. <laughs> um, so I have a funny story about how I got into cooking because it, it actually started with my cousin who doesn't cook, never wanted to be a cook or a chef or anything, but he worked at an olive garden and uh you know for me that was like a big deal because again we we were we didn't go out to eat i grew up on a dairy farm 
uh, we, we cooked everything in house. We didn't go out to restaurants. So when we'd go to Olive Garden, I know sounds, sounds big. It was a really big deal. And he worked there once and, you know, he was an idol of mine. So I was like, I want to do that. And then the cooking shows came on and then hearing about Anthony Bourdain, just like everybody else, it's kind of history from there. And I I didn't want to go to college. I actually saved money after my senior year to try and backpack uh, Europe, you know, and and I'm so glad I didn't do that. But, you know, I was basically forced uh, to choose a college because my stepfather is an educator, so I didn't have a choice there. Um, but what drew me to it was actually the rush, the, the race against the clock. Um, I was always in sports and the college I went to in upstate New York, SUNY Delhi, had a culinary competition team. And that drove me and I was like, that is, I can relate to that. I've been in sports my whole life. I love sports. I love competition. Let's go. And, and it kind of fell from there. And, and so I don't know if I really saw like, I really want to be a chef. I want to create you know, I want to go see the best places around the world to eat. I want to do this. I, I just kind of fell into it, you know, and, and then as, as Gardner kind of said, you, you kind of like the app, you either like the environment or you don't, right? There's a certain environment in these kitchens that you can either handle or not. And, and I think we can all agree that handling stress and handling anxiety is, is, is huge. Uh, and then again, being on time, racing that, that clock. The diners don't usually care if you're tired. Um, you still got to get the food out. So with that link, I really like to, to make this connection here um, between music and, and cooking or art and cooking. And it was actually at Les Balliers, there was There was a gentleman at the chef's table who I got to talk to when I was on Fish Station, I believe. I didn't get to talk when I was on Roast over there. But uh, Fish Station, you had some time to talk a little bit every now and then. And, uh, and, you know, he was actually one of the, the conductors for the, the Boston Symphony Orchestra that was, that was, they were performing that, that whole week or weekends. And he was just gazing at us all with intent. And I, I got to talk to him, found out what he did. I thought that was amazing. Um, and then he made this, this connection between cooking or watching a kitchen operate and the ballet or hearing an orchestra. And, and, and it brings up the question, because I find music and cooking very similar, where it's, it's, there's, a, there's, a very, there's an artistry side to it, um, there's, there's a creativity side to it, um, but then you have to know the basics, and you have to be regimented, and you have to know certain things. It's either music theory, or, or for us in, in cooking, it has to be learning the brigade system, how it works, um, et cetera, from the basics of cooking. So I, I open this conversation up with, with that, which is, um, you know, starting with a quote actually from Charlie Trotter, um, which is a jazz musician can improvise based on his knowledge of music. He understands how things go together. For a chef, once you have that basis, that's when cuisine is truly exciting. Anybody want to touch on that? I, I just thought I'd open this up because I find it super interesting, this connection between, between art and, and, and the fundamentals and, and having to learn that. So, so, you know, how much of it is, is chef and how much of it is artist creativity? Do you guys see the difference? Do you see it as that or am I, am I the only one? That's a question. That, that's a question. Uh, that's a question. As someone who loves music, I, I, was, I guess I'll just go first. 
I, I, you know, I don't really know what to say too, too much on it, but like, I love music, but I don't know how to play music. You know, I have no idea how to read a note. Okay. I played clarinet for like from seventh and eighth grade in, in, in my middle school. You know, I, I, they, they let me graduate from recorder into clarinet, you know, uh, but, but no, but really though, like, you know, I do, I think it's like with anything though, you know, I think that you can compare anything to like, you know, art, you know, as long as like the, it's considered art, quote unquote, I guess you can say. I think that you're right. Like, you know, you have to have some sort of fund- fundamental to start, you know, but then you come aclo- along some people though that just naturally have it, you know, like right. they, you know, like they, they have the fundamentals already built into them or they take them and then create on top of that, you know, like they, they rewrite the, mm-hmm. uh, what's that saying? You know, uh, oh, yeah, I don't know. but I do think, yeah, to rewrite something yeah, that like, was written. There is those people that come across that are true greats, you know. And, and I don't think it just has to be with food or with music. Like, you know, I was just talking. I was listening to something yesterday, and I think that somebody in our time that we forget about, maybe you know, maybe we don't all forget about it, but someone that does this in our lifetime, someone like David Blaine, you know, like that guy is one of a kind. And I know that you guys want to say whatever it is, but like to get away from food a little bit, but like he's a one in a lifetime kind of person, you know, and. I know this is kind of, you know, getting away from what you asked, so I'm going to let you guys have the table now. Who's David Blaine? Who's David Blaine? I don't know who David Blaine is. Is he serious about who's David Blaine? David Blaine? I want you to Google David Blaine right now. This man, like... Oh, I thought thought we were talking about chefs. Oh, I thought we were talking about chefs. I'm sorry. It's the most recent thing that he did. Oh, is the illusionist? No, I'm sorry. no, I don't know who that is. But I'm going to look him up. <laughs> well, it, it's it's all it's all connected, right? But it's find your study of Mark Peter White. There's a world outside. I think one of the biggest. There's a world outside. I think that absolutely. I mean, if we're saying art and cooking, I I definitely think that cooking is an art form, and I think it's a very. I think as we in the future at some point, I think that will be an undisputed fact. I think right now it's kind of disputed sometimes, but I think at some point someone's going to do the work and kind of track chefs in the creation of cuisine over time. And you'll see the same kind of ebbs and flows as you do in the art world, where you see like different kinds of styles came and went. I think one of the big things that we didn't have a hundred years ago is we didn't have so many cookbooks. So we didn't have a, you know, a documentation of what chefs were doing, how they were creating, what they were making. And we only have a few cookbooks from, you know, that many, that time ago, we don't have photos. We don't have the internet. We don't have that kind of recording. Whereas with art, obviously we do. And I think that you see a lot of people now are looking at, like, look at what Rene Renzepi did. And then he moved cooking into that kind of format. Look at what El Bulle did. And then you can, you can trace it from Michelle Bra down to El Bulle, El Bulle to Noma, and then Noma to like you know, whoever in the US, I don't know, the next guy, I think, or, or Gal. But I think, it's, I think that we will see that in the future, that people will really make that connection, where now we, don't, we haven't made that connection because we don't have that. We don't, we don't have that information all pulled together yet. But people are working on that. Like the guy from, uh, was it Flavikin there? Whatever his name is. He yeah, did man. that big book about like, look at the history of, of food up there and like the art of the food. And I, I think that's hugely important. 
I will also say one more thing. I don't want to take over too much time. I see the laser's ready to say something, but that the um, that also I think like the whole concept of using your hands and having the craft that goes along with the art is hugely important. I think along with the art and music, you have that same kind of connection. And you hear about like Alain Passari talk about that with like how people touch food and how they respect it when they pick it up and what their what their relationship is with their hands to the food. I think that's super important and super thing to like, I think that's one of the big joys about looking at food and creating as like an art form is that it's like something tactile with your hands that you can touch and feel and actually have a relationship with on that kind of intimate level. You don't see that, you know, a lot of times, or I said, if you do have that relationship on that level, that kind of intimacy with your, product or cuisine then you can call it an art form right yeah that that's a great point right because those who we're talking about uh, you know magnus alan passard uh, you know those guys are, are growing right so they're seeing the food coming from the ground and they're using that food right so 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 now they're they're, they're farmers as well as as chefs and, and nurturers so absolutely there's, there's a total total art form and, and the cookbooks i agree with you 100 percent. i think the, the cookbooks have become stories. Um, they've become photo journals as well as recipe cards, um, but, but more so just autobiographies, which I think is really an interesting thing. Uh, so you can really get to know um, that chef. And that new book, um, well, Favikin, that, that Magnus put out, it's great, by the way. If you need a recommendation, I think it's, I think it's a really good book. But uh, Nathan Finnessy, uh, I, I, I just, I also just want to bring up that I think in the past, you know, not even decade, uh, there's, there's been a lot more of like a performative aspect to fine dining and like middle dining. Like people want to see it happening. They want to see the process. Right. Uh, they want to be close to the kitchen. You'll see like, you know, it's like, it's like, you'll see all these kitchens that have a sushi bar style setup, except they're giving you 10 to 20 course meals. Um, and, or you're sitting like exact, like directly in the middle of the kitchen. And, you know, I think that kind of, I mean, I, you know, I don't know exactly how it evolved, but it's, you know, like people were 20 years ago watching PBS cooking shows and then 10 years ago watching competitive food channel shows. And now they're like, I want to be in the kitchen. I want to, I want to feel the heat. I want to like feel the stress without, you know, giving my giving six or eight or 10 years to, to working in a kitchen. You get to it. Right. Yeah. That, that's the underliner there is, is it's not, it's not TV time. Uh, you know, it takes many years. I think I, I, I totally like what Glazer's saying, I think is super important, especially in our environment, like working where we work that, you know, we have a physical world that we live in and people are bringing that stuff in. Like people want to see what we're doing. People want to be part of like the the physical world instead of just a virtual world. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and in the restaurants too, the the chefs' tables or, or the open kitchens. I mean, I don't think there's been a place in the past two years that's opened in Boston that hasn't had like an an open kitchen of some sort. Or you can see, you can see the kitchen. And and what's nice about that is is kind of. We're, we're kind of segueing into, you know, the future, right? Is, uh, you know, we're, we're in a pandemic right now. 
we've we've been in it for a while and hospitality in the restaurant industry as we're seeing it is is changing like crazy um standards are changing etc so you know on that note i think visibility when we're talking about seeing the food prepared people are interested in that now i think now they're also interested because they want to see the cleanliness right it's it, that's obviously on everybody's mind um, is, is the cleanliness moving forward? And, and with COVID-19 and this pandemic, you know, I think a lot of these, these trends that we're seeing now, I hate to, trend isn't quite the right word, but the, the extra precautions that are now having to be used in the restaurant industry, vaccine or not, I think they're, they're here to stay. Um, and, I, and I think it's just, again, um, before, you know, we talk about all the time, you know, especially in fine dining, cleaning, moving around, anything like that has to be done flawlessly and look like a ballet and quiet and nobody should see you cleaning or et cetera, et cetera. Now, now everyone wants to see that. They want to be in that action, uh, like you guys mentioned. So, you know, Boston has, and all of the restaurants have been hit so hard. Um, does, does anybody, you know, want to talk about that and what they think you know, the future is bringing, right? We're talking a lot about fine dining. So I guess I want to bring that up. Do, do we see fine dining style happen? Like, is this going to continue to be sustainable, right? Fine dining for a while has been something that is it sustainable. Is it, is it not? Do, are, are people always going to be willing to spend top dollar for this, et cetera? With COVID here, I mean, do, do we see that even being around? Is, is, is that going to, you know, fine dining going to kind of turn into casual dining and, and that's where it's going to kind of stay. I think you're going to continue to have like the, you know, the palaces of, of gastronomy where people will pay top dollar. There's always going to, if anything, there's just going to be less middle of the road, like mom and pop owned fine dining restaurants. Like the, the kind of restaurant that has really low margins and the guy is like, some dreamer and he opens up a restaurant. I think there's going to be a lot fewer of those. And there's going to be a lot more like if, if there's a fine dining restaurant and it's worth going to, it's like Masa and the French laundry. And then there's going to be a lot of like, you know, Morton's right. And like stuff like that. Chili's. Yeah. I, I would, yeah. Like piggybacking on that. I like, I totally agree. I, I think that, I think that in the future it's going to be, a lot harder for someone to kind of say, Hey, I want to open a restaurant and I have this concept. You're going to have to like, it's, 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 I think the barrier to entry is going to be a lot harder because the margins are so low and the demand for the demand for something uncertain is going to be less. I think, I think people are going to want to eat somewhere they know is going to be good. It's going to be worth the money. Uh, And so, you know, it's, you're going to have to, I don't know, get someone else to get sponsored by a local restaurateur who's not willing to, who's willing to like maybe lose a bunch of money or someone who already owns a, a restaurant empire. Cause I, yeah, I mean, I've like, I know a few people, friends of friends who've opened restaurants like now plan, we're planning on doing it anyway. And then, you know, got put on hiatus for a while and they're now actually have opened, but it's, it's impossible to, it's impossible to kind of keep up with everything now more than ever. And I don't think it's, you know, people are going to be wary for a while. Right. 
Right, of course, yeah. And and that I had the same thought and, and then when I think that thought and, and it's kind of happened in Boston, but it's kind of scary because um as as Gardner mentioned, these these um independent small restaurants, um, these these owners, you know, they're not gonna be able to afford this. They're you, you can you can see it if, if you're going out now or even just going into a restaurant to pick it up, you you know who's who's got proper funding. Uh, to make it through this and who doesn't just simply by what they've been able to do inside, right? Social distancing protocols, plexiglass everywhere, wh- whatever it might be. Um, y- you can kind of tell who's got the fighting chance. And then that brings in, you know, these, these large restaurateurs around the area in all cities that own multiple restaurants. Now, you know, is it fear going to be that they're, they're going to kind of be the only people who hold the ticket for you? Right. Later, tell me if I'm off what you're saying and, and anybody else chime in. But are we going to start to actually see like these smaller like in Boston, like, you know, Barbara Lynch, Grupo and, and others of that size, two, three, four restaurants or something? I, I mean, are, are they just going to explode? Because right now they've got buying power. They've got the money. They've got the funds. They've got operational places. I mean, but that scares me because then I see staleness. Right. I don't see a lot of diversity right or or you know the 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 restaurant group that started out as italian tapas is now trying out spanish tapas and and tacos over there whatever it might be but but it's still kind of the same because it's the same same kind of people um has anyone seen that going on or i'll give you two quick points i i think that for to go back to the fine dining thing i think that I think it's one of those, like, if you build it, they will come things. I don't think that Boston has a strong fine dining scene because the chefs in Boston haven't just haven't done it yet. It's not because there's not people here. I mean, you go to a place like San Francisco, they've got, you know, similar clientele. Yeah, there's more people that live there. There's more people that probably you know, they dine out more there. But in Boston and Cambridge, I mean, there's tons of like opportunity, I would say. You know, I'm not, maybe not for a big restaurants. I think you've got so many people just focusing on like the steakhouse because they know they're going to get the business dinner. They know they're going to get the pharmaceutical dinner, whatever. So they have those steakhouses and they're just cranking, you know? So, I mean, I would hope that there'd be some fine dining in the future. I don't think you're going to see big fine dining restaurants. I think they're going to be smaller because... The other point I would make, though, is I think that the real estate market in the future, like the next few years, let's say, I think it'll be very interesting to see post-pandemic whether or not we have more people working from home, whether or not that entail, if that leads to a softening of the real estate market commercially, which then will lead to a, a drop in maybe commercial real estate, you know, on the storefronts because, you know, they're not going to have as many people working in those buildings, maybe. So you might see like right some some you know lessening of the of the monthly rents because rent is I think what kills people right so I mean, that yeah oh that's God, what's absolutely. been destroying restaurants for the for the past five years and that's why there is there already you know yeah. kind of like a, a stale a stale sense to like Newbury Street where you see like you know a couple more Shake Shacks are opening up and a couple more fast food places like all these large chains that can afford it right. and whatever local business has been around forever is slowly disappearing. Yeah. Right. Right. And yeah. And, and this isn't to deter by any means. It's just unfortunate, you know, unfortunately what it is, because even, even these, these restaurateurs or these groups, 
you know, they started with one, they started, you know, with one spot and then they could grow and, and granted the, the times were different. Um, you know, but you know, to, to your point, it's, it's just one of those things where, you know, do we want to see all those mom and pops start to disappear? And, and is that, is that happening right now? I, I think a little bit. Oh, I think that's um, definitely going to happen. I mean, what, what's the percentage of like the mass restaurants? They said they're going to lose like 30% of the restaurants in Massachusetts. Some, something ridiculous right. like that. And that's like, as of now, you know what I mean? A few months from now, that could go up. But that's, I, I agree. But it might all, that also might open up a lot of opportunity to the young startups to go in there and take those spaces too. Right. Which is a hope, which is a hope, I think. And, and I think Boston needs that. I mean, all, all you can really hope for is that, you know, the real estate market does change a little bit so that there is young people that can come in there and fill these spots that unfortunately have been vacant, you know, in my mind, you know, but if they still stay the same price, you know, it's gonna be very hard for an independent person to try to start something. I think that you'll, like you said, the same kind of restaurant group starting another concept at another location because they know it's worked in the past. And then what you said, you kind of have these cookie cutter restaurants where I think that we might all agree. I'm not going to speak for everyone on this group, but, you know, it kind of all has the same feel a little bit right now when you go to some of these restaurants, you know, a couple do stand out and and, and I'm not going to mention any names, but, you know, I, I do hope that, you know, the real estate market does change a little bit after this, you know, because I think Chef Matt, yeah, look at the, what's that? Look at the seaport. Look at the seaport. I mean, the seaport is a prime example. Absolutely. I mean, it's like there are outliers in the seaport. There are some Barbara Lynch restaurants. There's Chickadee over there. There are some little restaurants that are cooler, but in the new area of the seaport, the vast majority of it's those big, you know, Tuscan kitchen, baby, you know, 25,000 square feet. Here we come. <laughs> Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, it is a business, right? They have to make the decisions, I guess, around that, right? Well, you know, one thing, though, is just like if, say, this, you know, fine dining, I think, was kind of coming a little bit. It was coming. It was slowing down, it seemed like, in the city of Boston, even before COVID. And then, obviously, COVID happened. Uh, yeah. But what happens then when, when say, we come out of this pandemic stronger than ever, uh, hopefully? And then what happens, though, then when you don't have those special spots to go out to eat, you know, because... Well, what do you do then? How, where's your special occasion like going to be? Is it going to be the same restaurant that you usually go to on once a month anyway on a Saturday? Then where do you go to celebrate? Mm, I think I think it's outside of cities. I, I, I if I chime in on this, I think outside of the cities um, are going to be the ticket. We can see it with with people just relo- relocating themselves and families. Um, you know, in this area especially, southern New Hampshire, even all the way up to southern Maine is probably getting you know, uh, Gardner, I think you mentioned it, like, you know, prices are, inflation is happening. People are looking to move outside of the cities more uh, after this pandemic, during this pandemic. And I think the same can go for restaurants. Anybody, uh, you know, that happens to have a restaurant uh, right now or has had a restaurant that has has boarding, it's a bed and breakfast, uh, you know, I think a Relay Chateau of any sort. I think those are going to be, Peter, as you mentioned, the places you go that are are for special. And I think people are also going to feel safer at those restaurants. They're not in a tiny city restaurant where even though there's still this social distancing and we don't know what that will look like in the future, but I just feel like there's a little bit more of a security with something like that, a little en- en- enchantment for sure. It's always had that, but people are willing to to go that, ex- that extra 
however many miles to feel a little bit more secure, especially when, you know, and then with, with the cost thing, I mean, that's just, I mean, that's just a no brainer. We all know the difference between cities and the cost of living and, or owning a place versus outside of the city. I mean, rent is, is going to be way cheaper. Building is going to be way cheaper, et cetera. So I think, I think it lies outside. And then I think, you know, if you, if someone were to open a, a nice bed and breakfast, that was fine dining-ish or, or they made it really nice, classic service, et cetera, that might be the place. I don't know. Anybody in? Yeah, you know, Chef Matt and Peter already mentioned it. I was just thinking the same thing you just said. You know, we're going to see, I think, more restaurants uh, out of city because of brand, because of COVID or other reasons. And we're going to hear good restaurants out of city. And people are going to go, you know, just because they want to eat good food. And uh, we're going to, I think, see more people. (laughs) We're going to see more people to go in outside city. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. People are definitely willing to travel much more now. They are. Um, and the cost. Cambridge is a great example. Cambridge is a great example of a place that has way, I, I think, more interesting restaurants opening mm-hmm. than Boston because I think they can. Places like Pammy's or like, I don't know. what It's like you see those places open because the rent's a little bit cheaper, liquor license, a little bit easier to get. And it's like Boston's going to, continue to be that who's got the money you know that's all it is i mean that's all when i was working uh coaching in back bay i mean that's when you saw it the most i mean that was the clientele i was working with too that one percent um where you know they would you know they're they're going over to grill 23 at you know at 4 30 for two cocktails and then sitting down for a business dinner and spending you know seven hundred dollars in wine and seven hundred dollars in red meat you know and and that you know, that's what they, they want. Um, I agree. You go over the bridge, what is it, a mile? And, and it's a completely different world. Um, Cambridge, I, I completely agree with that. Just more interesting, more drive. I think it is more drive. It's not as easy, right? In, in Boston, we have that. They know, okay, have red meat, have wine, super Tuscan, something disgusting that'll dry your mouth out and make the price tag huge and people will be there, you know? Uh, Cambridge, I don't think, you know, that's the same. And Nathan, if you can chime in on this, I know you're always out there in Cambridge, but they, they got to work harder, right? They got to, they got to move. I think so. I mean, you know, Cambridge is still, uh, it's a city and it's right next to Boston. Um, and I think, I think one of the things in general, uh, you know, because Cambridge prices in general are expensive, but Cambridge, maybe Newton, not so much, but Somerville, definitely Malden. And like, as you get farther out, they have the, the, their, they're always focused on economic development. Like the cities and towns are more focused on because they're smaller. How do we get, how do we keep people here? How do we get more people to come here and how do we get it and keep it interesting? Um, so they, so, you know, if you want to open a restaurant, they're going to try and make it easier for you, not just say, throw you out with the wolves and say, it's, it's, it's a fair playing field. They're going to try and say, okay, this sounds interesting to me, make me a proposal and here's how much money I have. Um, which is, you know, that's kind of the advantage, the home, the, the advantage in general you have with, if you want to open something in a smaller town, uh, it's, they're They want that. They want it to be, they want it to be something different. They want to have diversity, um, versus just the person totally. who can pay the most. Right. Right. Absolutely. It's 
polar opposites there for sure. Um, guys, so we're, we're just about finishing up here. Um, but I wanted to leave again, thanking you all for, for joining this, but, uh, you know, I wanted to hear one last thing from, from each of you. Um, and, and that is, you know, how have, how have you used food? Sorry, this is a tough one, guys. But how how have you used food? Uh, you know, we're, we're all we're all chefs here, right? We've all dedicated a lot of time and a lot of hours into into our our passion, um, our artistry. You know, during this this time off, we we've, we've all been off almost a year now. Have we? Have you guys used food? Uh, what what we've all done and and calloused our hands with and burned our arms to 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 make. Ha- have you used that to get through this time of not working, right? Which means we're not, we're not cooking in any sort of commercial kitchen, right? For the past year we haven't, or are you just, you know what? I've done a lot in my life so far in the kitchen. I want to use this time or I've been using this time to just, you know, try something else, do something else. Maybe it was a hobby you you were never able to do because as we all know, um, you don't have much free time uh, being a chef. Um, so that, that's what I ask you all, is, is if we could just go around. Um, Peter McGraw, I'm going to start with you again. But, uh, you, know, you know, that's the question there. How, how have you used your career, our career, chef, cooking, food, et cetera, to help through this time? Uh, or um, you, you know, honestly, uh, you know, we obviously have a couple things to do during the day for work-related things. But then, you know, we are usually left with a good amount of time even afterwards. Um, and, and I have obviously used a lot of that time to cook because I don't know about you guys, but cooking two, three times a day, you know, for almost a year, it's more than I've cooked probably professionally more dishes at this point, <laughs> but, um, Absolutely. but no, I definitely have, uh, expanded my knowledge of food during this time. Uh, I, my, I, I'm sure that you guys might even notice this, but my, my love for cookbooks might've even started. I wouldn't even say that it came back. I think it started now more than it did 10 years ago. Uh, I had a bunch of books that were sitting on my shelf that my mom or, or friends or family had bought for me, uh, you know, years ago that maybe I cracked open for just that weekend that I got it and then put it there and forgot about it. And now it's like, I've taken the time because I've, I've had the time, but it's not, you know, I, I don't like to say that I've had the time now because I think that we always have time, even when the world is normal. It's now... I have the energy and I'm not trying to make excuses anymore, you know, and, and I have to take take advantage of this time to, to develop and grow and, and to learn again. Right. Um, and, and cooking at your home isn't the same thing as cooking at a restaurant, you know, and you really do have to kind of push yourself, especially when you're going to the same grocery store every week, you're seeing the same vegetables, you know, you have to expand your knowledge and you're not going to, you know, you're not going to look into your fridge every night and get inspiration. You have to find it in other senses, you know, other, other factors. So, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It's definitely helped my 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 cooking. I'd say. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah, that's a great. So, real quick before we move this on to to laser, uh, do you oh, have a favorite book? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I know, I know. I got like fifteen books lined up on the cookbook table behind me. You know, uh, and and all of them I read like three pages, <laughs> then close them. But you know what? Though at least I'm reading those three pages. You know, and that's all that matters. Um, but. Uh, yeah. I think Nathan yeah. just got me a gift. Thank you guys. Uh, or thank you, Nathan, not guys. But uh, uh, right now I've been reading this uh, this book called um, uh, by Paul Bertoli. Um, 
cooking with what is it name again? Cooking with your cooking my hand. Cooking my hand. Thank you. And I've heard about it from so many chefs, and I never took the time to buy it. And then luckily, I got a surprise gift for my birthday. So thanks, Nate. That's great. All right, cooking my hand. I'm gonna have to look for that one. I've heard heard excellent things. Uh, Laser, let's jump right yeah. in. Uh, let's um, go to you. I have been cooking at home uh, pretty much every night, you know, like just like cooking dinners. And it's definitely a challenge, uh, especially when I don't, I don't like, I don't like batch cooking. Uh, and I did some of that this past week. And like, if I have too many leftovers, I just get bored and don't want to eat them all. So uh, it's like, a, it's definitely a challenge to like, you know, buy a bunch of groceries and then say, Hey, what am I going to cook? And I don't always plan it out. Um, it's kind of frustrating. It's been frustrating for me uh, just because I, like the thing I love most about food is like the gathering aspect. I love people gathering around a meal. Um, I've, I love, I mean, I hate hosting people after a while, but I like the idea of hosting people to a degree. And then I just like run away to the kitchen. Um, so it's, it's, it's definitely been frustrating because I really like to cook for people and not just, you know, me and my girlfriend, like I don't get inspired the same way when I'm just cooking dinner every night. Um, I get inspired when I'm like, you know, or I try to be more creative when I'm cooking for someone I've never cooked for or just or or just other people. Um, or if I'm, you know, if I'm cooking with friends, even it's like more it's more inspirational than if I feel like it's just for fuel. Um, so that's definitely been kind of like a not a downside, but a frustration of mine because I do like cooking, you know, like Thanksgiving dinner. Uh but for 20, not for two and, and, and all this other stuff. Um, right. Right. But I have, I have also been, you know, I've been reading more cookbooks and trying to become more inspired uh, as well with the same 10, 20 produce items that I, I, I get. Uh, yeah. The winter, it's a struggle. I know it's a struggle on the, the produce uh, front. Um, Gardner. Yeah, so <laughs> other than day trading, I should say, I guess I don't know. I didn't know that's I guess about you, but I guess you uh, um, you're into it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, obviously, I cook all my meals. Um, I wake up in the morning and I think, what am I going to make for dinner? Like literally, it's the first thing I think about because I'm like planning out my whole day. Um, and uh, it's like you know, it's the rhythm of your day, and also I, it's. I get so bored during these times, obviously we all mm-hmm. do. And so like the best thing for me is to just, you know, I'm like listening to a podcast or I'm watching something and I'm in my kitchen and I'm cooking and like, it doesn't necessarily have to be something like good or special. It's like the same thing I'm making. It's like a grilled cheese sandwich, but like, nice. Is I don't know. It's just like the kitchen is where I hang out and I just like, I don't know. I cook. So, um yeah i don't cook as like i don't cook fancy food as much but um i find that we go out and we will buy like we will seek out like certain types of protein that we haven't had in like a really long time so Mm -hmm. and fish stores are selling like really good quality stuff now that they would normally sell to restaurants so like we've gotten we got um, soft shells that were in season and they were like, they were fantastic. They were so good. And oh, then nice. the other day we had, um, oh, we had scallops. 
and they were like really, really good quality, fresh scallops. Nice. Um, yeah. Good time of year for those right now. And I also recommend Paul Bertoli. That's a great uh, cooking by hand. That is like the quintessential Italian cookbook. Great. What fish market uh, are you going to, Gardner? I like the two fish markets on um, in Cambridge near uh, near Inman. I like courthouse. Congressional. Right. They always Court, yeah. Oh, courthouse. Right, courthouse. <laughs> I always trust Congressional. They have a great selection of whole fish. That's cool. So they have, um, you know, they have everything local, and like they get, they get. I saw they get anchovies in from Portugal no. every Thursday. Really, that's um, very cool. Yeah, you don't see that at that's a good any place. basic fish store. Oh yeah, they had. I so I went today. They had toro, like they had all kinds of good stuff. So. Oh wow, cool. You're right, though. I think you know they're not. They're not. Uh, the restaurants aren't taking it right or not nearly as much. I mean, I, I live in Chelsea right next to restaurant Depot, oh, really? which is probably my favorite store in the world. I know everyone else hates it, but I love that place, <laughs> but you know, they're doing all you can, you don't need a card anymore through COVID. You can just go in and, and stuff. And, and you know, they've got a huge fish market in the back. The guy goes to the docks or whatever. It always used to be subpar by like great standards. And I, I rarely get fish, from there but it's actually looked really phenomenal and it's just because again people aren't coming in first thing in the morning these restaurants and buying up the best stuff hand selecting it um so i guess we can you know we could be thankful for that i guess uh great great product um <clears throat> chef oz you know i i didn't have a chance to cook at home that much uh, only just the weekends now we just almost you know almost not almost every day i'm cooking uh nathan inspired me this summer doing less of jarring so i did jarring and now i just started consuming them like i had a tomato soup the other day or tomato tomato uh sauce the little cherry tomatoes and yeah there you that, go that, i was just gonna delicious and uh that's cooking i just want to do every every two weeks i cook um ramen i love ramen i just try to be good at it and I tried uh, pizza. I shared a couple of uh, ideas with uh, Chef Peter. And uh, yeah. Pizza, and... nice. Did you call Jeff? Jeff Walker? <laughs> no. Jeff G? Just, uh, the, the book, Mastering uh, Pizza, though. Uh, mastering with Pizza. And also Mastering with uh, um, Pasta. Those are his pretty good books so i just tried to learn and just try to do it the other day i just did tortellinis two weeks ago come out very good and just try to be good at it with uh, uh pizza dough not there yet it's just nice uh, i found i think is the the flavor is good but it's just not um getting that you know airy bubbly you know just uh, i try to oh, find yeah. the best way to how to do that and just just you know i just play with it Right. So it's nice because you've, you've had that time for, uh, you know, experimenting with that, right? Gonna raise hand? Yeah. I, I, I was just thinking, Oscar reminded me of just like what you said about canning. I, I don't know why, but I love doing, well, when I was working in restaurants, I didn't love doing it, but I kind of love doing these like menial tasks, these like thoughtless tasks. 
so I find like during this COVID time, I keep buying like, I was buying like fava beans and like just cleaning a ton of fava beans. (laughs) (laughs) During in December, I bought like, I I bought a ton of mixed nuts, like almonds, hazelnuts, walnuts. I, I cracked all of them. Really? Nuts? I cracked all these fresh nuts and I roasted them and they were like the best nuts I've ever tasted. They were like so fresh, you know, they were good. Right, they haven't staled yeah. out inside of a bag yet. Oh, COVID hobbies. We all got COVID hobbies. Matthew, are you are you crack? Uh, you know, hand cracking nuts over there and and milling flour, or what do you got going on over in uh, Charleston? Um, I mean, I pretty much cook um, as as uh, as as prescribed by my roommate Ryan Justin. Whatever Ryan wants is what I pretty much make. So, but we, I've actually done a lot of non meat this year. Okay. I would say that's one good, one thing that Ryan has kind of pushed us towards is, uh, you know, no meat. And that's not just because of where we work with our plant-based diet, but also Mm -hmm. just like right now we're doing the vegan January and we're 15 days in and kind of pretty much stopped eating meat over the summer for the most part, except maybe like one day a week. So, and I've been amazed at how easy it was to kind of do that. So as far as like different recipes go, I mean, it's, yeah, it's been great to cook at home dinner every night. I think it's like a nice to like have a different ritual where you're like cook dinner and watch the news, do whatever, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely different. Um, but I, I mean, I think I've always cooked a lot, so it's not, you know, I, I try to always cook when I come home. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting as we, as we just ran, went around, um, you know, so many people dread cooking at their house or period, right? Cooking. What's for dinner? I have a friend in New York. He calls me a lot during the week, you know, and he's always like, dude, what do I cook? What should I cook for dinner? What should I do? And, and we almost see it as, as not as a, well, it's a challenge, right? I think all of us somehow in one way mentioned like we're, we're learning something new about our craft, right? Cooking. There's always so much to continually learn, whether it's cuisine um, or, or something, you know, or food in general. Like for me, uh, Dan Barber has been, been uh, you know, his books I've reread um, once through COVID and learning more about sustainability and farming agriculture uh, you know, that part of food that nobody ever thinks about, right? And I think I've also been eating a, a lot less meat uh, for that reason as well, because I'm, I'm starting to understand uh, why it may not be so good for you, uh, for your body as well as, uh, you know, agriculture as a whole. Um, but we're all cooking, which is which is great. And and I hope, you know, all of, all of anybody or all of you listening, maybe it's just us, uh, which is fine too. Um, but, you know... Use this time to keep cooking. This is the one time, and for me, I guess I can speak and say it's the one time where I can I can cook and and actually choose, you know what I what I want to cook, which can be daunting as we all just sort of explained. But you know it, it's not a ticket machine telling me what to cook, you know, or it's not a specified menu telling me what to cook. So I can I can choose to learn, you know, I can text Oz and ask him a, a great, you know, Turkish recipe and, and I can try that out and I can fail and then try it again and fail and try it again. And, and we're kind of back at the beginning. It's full circle, uh, back at the beginning. Um, 
So that rounds it up, guys. Thanks, thanks again so much um, for joining virtually. Uh, obviously, we all wish we could have done this in person, um, as we've done so many times in the past. Um, and again, you know, for everybody listening, um, I'm hoping to do more of these podcasts. I've got a few lined up for the next months. Um, but this was just an intro. Uh, thank you, Oz Gardner, Laser, Matthew, Peter, for making this easier. Uh, for helping roll this out uh, into a nice intro and then also, you know, telling a little bit about yourselves to the people that we haven't seen uh, in a very long time that we used to see for eight hours a day, uh, nearly every day of the week. Um, so that rounds this out. Again, guys, thanks again so much uh, for joining and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Chase. Thank you, Chase, for organizing.